0: which is what we are, uh, as tourists, traveling through the universe, experiencing and sampling some of the many universes that are out there. Supporting that notion are the experiences of uh, Bob Monroe and Edgar Casey, and also the explanations of the entity Seth on a number of different subjects. And today we'll talk about the explanations that Seth provided uh, regarding Uh, our existence between lives and if we have enough time we'll also get into uh, the discussion of the nature of God. Once again some of this material will be uh, repetitive to things I've discussed uh, recently but I'm repeating them here because they are relevant. Now dozens of people living in the 21st century have written what I consider excellent books that give us a lot of information about what goes on between lives. Uh, I found Very informative, two books by Michael Newton who regressed people to past lives and in between existences. He summarized their experiences in The Destiny of Souls and The Journey of Souls. Another book, Your Soul's Plan by Robert Schwartz, also provided excellent insights. Brian Weiss probably was the leading author in that field for a long time. He's written several informative books. And I recommend reading them if you have time. But in our discussion here today, I will focus only on input from the entity Seth. According to Seth, our original experience, initial experience when we die, is not the same for everyone, any more than our physical lives are. Those who believe that death is the end of it all and that we perceive and experience nothing will experience temporary oblivion according to their beliefs. They are disoriented until a guide arrives to help them move along past this obstacle of their own creation. Now, they don't realize that their thoughts and emotions are so powerful that they are creating the illusion of nothingness. Others in the past might have expected the uh, river sticks as a crossover point and so they experienced it. Guides will put on a play and enact a drama that meets the person's expectations. They do that as a first step in helping the newly dead person to get adjusted to their new reality. Now, religions, regardless of their contact, content, rather serve a positive purpose because they at least set up a person's expectation for some kind of existence after death. So this helps a lot in those initial after-death experiences. Once we regain our balance, so to speak, we examine the life we just left and we become aware of other existences and other lives and we start making plans for the next life, if that's the option we decide upon. You're still in some sort of body, but as you progress through stages, you can take on any form you choose. That's why dead relatives will often appear to the living in their dreams in a form similar to their peak physical form houses and dwellings are not needed, as you'd expect, but many will create them for quite a while until they're not necessary. The uh, communications of Oliver Lodge that I've discussed in uh, previous episodes give you uh, detailed insights here uh, as to which symbols he kept and for how long. Symbols or illusions of such things as Clothing, houses, streets and villages, what you eat, and so forth. From his perspective, Seth said it was always a lesson between lives to trace the thoughts and events that led to a given demise. He was often given to the love of weight, but twice died of starvation. There was a great sense of humility for him, but also a great sense of exaltation, as the inner self between lives senses its freedom when death occurs. Now some who believe in heaven will reject the idea of further work. That's understandable. But the very existence of consciousness demands continuing challenge and development, and eventually they learn that. They learn there's no such simple end to life as heaven, but rather there is instead freedom to understand the extent of your own reality and to develop your abilities further. To feel more deeply the nature of your own existence as part of all that is. Now those who believe in some version of hell come more quickly to their senses with the aid of guides. According to Seth, there are no special places or situations or conditions in the afterlife in which a person must have experience, and that includes hell. Contrary to the belief of some, suicides have no particular punishment meted out to them. That's something I've noted previously. And for any reader who wants a firsthand account of what a suicide is likely to experience over a few of our earth years in time, uh, you might go back to the episode uh, by Joe Gallenberger about his brother Pete, who was a suicide. Now, we're as individualized in death as we are in life. That's important. We're as individualized in death as we are in life. Some will isolate various characteristics between lives and work on them exclusively, preparing for emotional development, for example, after a series of lives where they concentrated on intellectual development. Some will choose a more balanced, easier progression, It's unusual to wait more than three centuries between incarnations, and the abundant evidence of others indicates many of us wait only a much shorter time. Some incarnate before they're advised to by guides. Indeed, in India, the cases studied by Ian Stevenson suggest some reincarnate almost right away, less than a year. Ideally, relationships for the next life need to be settled on, and intended roles worked out, so that longer in-between periods are advised. Now, Some personalities are loners, who reincarnate without any great feeling for Earth's historical periods. Others like to return with contemporaries time and again, and some specialize in physical existence, and they're very good at it. Some choose extraordinary talents along specific lines, as opposed to trying many different trades or occupations or interests. They might, for example, be musicians, priests, or teachers, almost exclusively. Some take a sabbatical between lives and experience a side trip outside of reincarnation entirely. Those who understand while living in the body that reality is self-created will have the least trouble adjusting, according to Seth, adjusting and moving ahead. Uh, Those who have a strong belief in opposites, good versus evil, God versus devil, angels versus demons, so forth, they will have more difficulty because these are all distortions, he said, and impediments to relatively easy, swift progress. All right, I think we have time to uh, switch to Seth's explanations of uh, God, just who or what is God. Now, Seth has many ways of explaining this, starting with the observation that the old concepts of God are relatively meaningless, something that is becoming more apparent to many of us in the 21st century. He says we would not understand if he said God is an idea, because we do not understand the dimensions in which an idea has its reality, or the energy it can originate and propel. He tells us God is a creator of an infinite variety of probable existences that reality pervades all appearance. So to say that physical life is not real is to deny that. God does not exist apart from physical reality, but within it, as God exists within all systems of existence. God is within each man and woman, but also within each frog, spider, shadow, and that's something we don't like to admit sometimes, God can only be experienced Seth maintains through our own existence. God holds an idea shape of itself as human and is responsible for the energy that gives vitality to our private multidimensional selves, which in turn form our physical images in accordance with our own ideas. So God is God and God is human. Our eternal soul, each of us, is maintained by the inconceivable energy and vitality of god so we cannot be destroyed and we must create as we are created one description seth gave is that god is a simultaneous infinite explosion of all that is and usually referred to god as all that is now the attributes of all that is will appear in any system of reality in accordance with that system's camouflage data and in experience of God can come in two ways. One is realizing that the prime moving force is within everything you can perceive with your senses. The other is to realize the primary motive force has a reality independent of its connection with the world of form and appearances. There are probable gods, each one reflecting the multidimensional aspects of a prime identity. So great that no one reality, form, or kind of existence could contain it. Now, we create probable gods through our own thoughts and our own desires. All that is can only be sensed as described through the inner senses and just a bit through inspiration and intuition. It is not done and finished, it simultaneously and unendingly creates itself. Only in our human time-space illusion is that statement a contradiction. It follows that, as Seth explained, there cannot be a finished God. Perfection presupposes a point beyond which development is impossible and creativity is at an end. There would be no further freedom of creativity. Instead, all that is is inexhaustible. Alive within the least of itself, endowing, endowing its creations with its own abilities that act as inspirations as impetus, guiding lines and principles by which these parts of God, including us, then seek to create further create themselves, their own worlds and systems and in our case, we are currently forming our reality by using these gifts given to us by God? How good a job we're doing? That's that's another question. Uh, Now, there was uh, an interesting book review years ago titled uh, How Yahweh Became God. Uh, It was a review of the book, The Invention of God by Thomas Romer. He was a Harvard scholar. So Romer explained that in the Sinai Desert at the end of the 13th century B.C., Israel's Edomite neighbors worshipped Yahweh as a god of wars and storms. He was brought to Canaan by a group of nomadic worshippers. And in the early years, he was just another tutelary deity, a tribal protector, and a patron who would intervene in military battles and bring rain to fertilize the crops. So gradually, he became associated almost exclusively with Jerusalem And when an Assyrian siege of the city was suddenly and mysteriously aborted in 701 B.C., Yahweh's supporters were convinced he had wrought a great miracle. Then by 586 B.C., when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, instead of abandoning Yahweh, the Jews instead claimed Yahweh had used the Babylonians to punish his unfaithful people. And this implied Yahweh could also control the Babylonians and must therefore be more powerful than the gods of Babylon. Romer suggests that this was a prelude to the monotheistic idea which led to our idea of one all-powerful God. You may remember I shared that explanation in a a recent uh, episode. Now, Seth starts a bit further back when explaining how we developed our idea of God. There was a time when man felt a part of nature, he says, not separated from it. Men communicated to the spirits of the birds, the trees, the spiders, and all of nature, aware of the inner reality that was, has already been described. Right? Death was not feared since man understood the cycle of consciousness and the fact that his spirit did not die. But man developed a desire to step outside of himself. He wanted to study and reflect upon his own consciousness. Now, this offered a new creativity. A flower or a frog, for example, could not reflect upon its existence of yesterday. But man now could. However, this also meant a giant separation from the inner spontaneity that had given mankind peace and security. Previously, man's environment was effortlessly created and perceived by man and other living things, all knowing the nature of their inner reality. But for this major new venture into a new property of consciousness that is reflecting upon itself, it was necessary to pretend the inner unity did not exist. So man's perception of the exterior universe was changed. The exterior universe now seemed to be alien and apart from the individual who perceived it. Consistent with that, God became an idea projected outward, independent of the individual and divorced from nature. For man, God then became the reflection of man's emerging ego. As Seth explains it, to be effectively organized, inner and outer experience had to appear as separate disconnected events. The original propulsion of inner characteristics outward into the formation of the ego was so powerful, Seth said. It could be compared to the birth of innumerable stars. The ego, however, was in a strange new position. Having its birth from within, it had to always maintain its independence while still maintaining the nagging certainty of its inner origin. Understandably, the ego feared for its position, frightened that it would uh, dissolve back into the inner self, but its new status provided a new kind of feedback. It could glimpse possibilities of development that it had not previously been aware of. And by the time of Christ, the ego was sure enough of its position that the picture of God could begin to change. The qualities of mercy and understanding could now surface. The concept of God began to change as the ego recognized its reliance on inner reality. Seth cautions to be careful of the gods you choose, for you will reinforce each other. Ancient tales of gods and demons guarding gates are highly distorted. Inner reality cannot be expressed that way. We need to be careful of the beliefs we accept. There are no demons and devils except those that we create out of our beliefs. Now, there is no need to create a separate God who exists outside of our universe and separate from it, just as there is no need to think of our souls as some distant entity. God, all that is is intimately a part of each of us. God's energy forms our identity, and our soul is a part of us in the same manner. All that is, is a part of all creation, but more than what creation is. It contains myriad gestalts of being impossible to describe, whose awareness includes knowledge and experience of a vast number of other realities. Realities, for example, that might include the life and death of our planet in a moment of their time. Seth noted that his larger soul, or big self, as I would call it, whom Seth arranged to have speak through Jane at one point as Seth too, has its existence at the outer fringes of one such galaxy of consciousness. So the entity that Seth is a part of has its existence at the outer fringes of one such galaxy of consciousness. Now we will not dissolve into all that is, as some religions imply. The aspects of our personalities, as we understand them, will be retained. All that is, is the creator of individuality, the creator of it, not the means of its destruction. All personalities are living and vital, and all go their own way. Our future personalities are as real as our past ones. And outside of our narrow reincarnational framework, there is no death as we think of it. Since all lives are simultaneous, any separation is just a psychological one. Now, we, at this time, we've been trying to squeeze the notion of the soul and God into our tight concepts, trying to make them fit with our limiting beliefs. We are not separated from the animals and the rest of existence by virtue of possessing an eternal inner consciousness, which they do not. Such consciousness is present within all living things and in all forms, and all of us are within God. And that's an eternal inner consciousness, which we have, but so do the animals, all living beings and all forms. So when you think of it logically, nothing can exist outside of God. It's also important to understand that God continues to know itself partly through our creations, and to remember that God must always be changing and will never reach a stage of so-called perfection. Just as our soul knows itself further and adds to the nature and quality of its existence by virtue of our three-dimensional existence, opening up avenues of reality that would not exist otherwise, So, God knows itself through the continuing infinite creations and experiences of the souls that it has created. All right, that that concludes our discussion uh, for today. And in the next session, we'll talk uh, about Seth's ideas about earlier civilizations, his description of some of them, and the connection between all the various realities. Once again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you Lessons from the Helpful Dead.